0: Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I want to talk to you about how the enemy attacks you and how you and I can be prepared to withstand the attacks and the strategies of the enemy and live in victory over those for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me, give, let me begin with a question. How important in a warfare situation is the element of surprise? It's incredibly important. It would be interesting have some of our soldiers here come and give us a little treatment on the importance of surprise in war but it i can just logically reason that out for you if you were a general commanding an army and you had information that was given to you that told you where the enemy was and what the enemy had in his arsenal his forces and his weapons and exactly how he was going to use those in his attack against you, you would be far more equipped for victory than without that information. Well, we're in a spiritual battle. Every day, if you're a follower of Christ, when you wake up every morning, whether you realize it or not, you square off against the enemy. That is the reality of the Christian condition. We're in a spiritual war. And here is what we can know. We can know as believers the very strategies and battle plans of the enemy. We can be like a spy that infiltrates the enemy's troops and gets down to command central and stands around the table there as the enemy is with his commanders and he lays out the topographical maps and he talks to them about the way he's going to progress in the battle, giving them their orders. We can sit in on that. We can read His wartime manual, because it's been given to us right here in the Word of God. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to take a look at how the enemy attacks and how we can withstand those and live in victory. The title of the message is Satan's Attack and Our Defense. Here's the first thing I want to talk about. That we need to know our enemy. That we need to know our enemy. How he is going to attack us. And I want to give you four ways that he does that. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you uh, to write these down. The scriptures that go along with them. I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but I'm going to give you four key ways that the enemy will come against your life. The first one is this, the enemy attacks us with seeds of doubt, with seeds of doubt. He has a bag full of seeds of doubt, and what he is doing all the time is he's looking for opportunities to sow those seeds of doubt into our lives. He's been doing that from the very beginning, throughout this message and few different places, I'm going to talk to you about two infamous attacks of the enemy. Because by looking at these two monumental moments where the enemy attacked both the first Adam, the first man and woman in the garden, and the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, we can learn a lot about his strategies and the way that he does battle. You see, he's not very creative. He just keeps using the same things over and over and over again. So God wants, I believe, in His words, why He told us about these things. He wants us to know how the enemy comes at us. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to cover a lot of verses in a lot of different places in the Scriptures. Normally, we're locked into one passage, but we're going to be going all over the place. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one behind each section of chairs, but we're going to throw the reference and the page number for the Bibles that are in the back up on the screen, but you're going to have to have quick fingers to follow along here because we've got a lot of ground to cover. First point on the enemy's first attack, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is about the fall of mankind into sin. And I read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? God had placed Adam and Eve in the garden, said you can eat of any tree, but don't eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here is the enemy in the form of a serpent coming to Eve and said to Eve some things to cast the seed of doubt. And I want to show you what that is. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And here's Eve's answer, yes. God did actually say, God said... Don't eat of this tree because in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then comes the lie of the enemy that goes like this. I'm going to paraphrase here. Eve, God's holding out on you. The reason that God doesn't want you to eat of this tree is because if you do, He knows that you're going to become like God. He's keeping the best from you, Eve. He's holding out. Satan was sowing seeds of doubt into Eve's life and the doubt that he was sowing was related to God. Was related to who God is and the goodness of God. Let me give you some ways that the enemy sows seeds of doubt into our life today. I'm going to give you three. There are a number of these, but these are three common ways that the enemy today attempts to sow seeds of doubt into the lives of followers of Christ. Here's one. Did God really save you? I mean, did did it really happen? You know that moment when the worship songs had played and in that environment when the gospel was preached and you made a decision for Christ and it felt really good in the moment, but did it really happen? Did anything really change there? This seed of doubt is a seed that the enemy sows so often into those who are recently saved, or young in the faith? I asked a rhetorical question last service saying something like this. If I were to ask the congregation here, how many of you have ever wondered if it really happened in your life, if you really were saved, particularly early on in your Christian life? And several people, even though I didn't really ask for a response, they threw their hands up and said, yeah, that's true of me. It's what the enemy does. Does it often to new followers of Christ? Seeds of doubt. Here's another type of seed of doubt. Does God really love you? I mean, does He really love you? These seeds are sown in the valleys of life, in the heartaches of life, When times are really tough or really painful or really dark, where it seems like God is silent or not there, and the enemy comes to sow the seed of doubt in your life, does God really love you? I mean, looking around at what's happening to you in your life, does God? Truly, is He really a God of love? And here's how the logic goes. If He did, wouldn't the God who can do anything, wouldn't He have done something to alleviate this problem? Wouldn't He have done something to keep you out of this problem or to get you out of it? Isn't the fact that you are still there or you have faced this heartache, isn't it truth? Doesn't it shout from the rooftops that God really doesn't care? Here's the twisted reality with that. This is not a message about that. I'm just identifying the ways that the enemy sows seeds of doubt. But here's the twisted reality about that. Here's what is almost always the case. The very problems and pain, valleys and darkness that we're in so often, not all the time, but often are related to poor decisions that we made, consequences of choices and sin things that the enemy led us into, and then he takes those very things and uses them to cause us to question God and his goodness and his love. Twisted. Here's another seed of doubt that the enemy likes to sow into followers of Christ. Will God really use you? I mean, really use you Does God actually want to take your life and use it for something eternal, something eternally consequential, really, you? Isn't that better left to somebody else, somebody else that looks more qualified? Will He really use you? Seeds of doubt. Here's another way that the enemy attacks us. We've talked about the first way he comes to sow seeds of doubt. Here's another way. He attacks us through difficulties. Attacks us through difficulties. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Timothy three twelve. If you're following along, flip there quickly. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the difficulties I'm talking about here are not just the valleys of life that are a part of living in this sinful world, the pain and heartaches that come. I'm talking specifically here about someone living for Jesus and because of the convictions of their faith and them Remaining true to that, they face difficulties or persecutions related to their lifestyle or their convictions regarding the Word of God. And so the enemy will come at a life like that, that is seeking to live faithful, and he'll come at them through difficulties and the difficulties are designed to wear us down and beat us up and turn our head and if possible steal away our joy do you know one of the most seen this to be true in my own life I believe it carries out as a general principle one of the Times that we are very vulnerable before the attacks of the enemy is when we are physically exhausted. When we are worn down physically and it causes us to let our guard down spiritually and be open to the attacks of the enemy. Here's a third way. So we've looked at the enemy attacking us through doubt and he attacks us through difficulty. Number three is he attacks us through deception. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen. He writes and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, when I use the term deception, the enemy attacks us through deception, I think often our mind goes to this idea when we hear that. Uh, Somebody that is like a wolf in sheep's clothing that has worked their way into the church and is spreading false teaching or among believers and is taking the truth and twisting it in the guise of being a herald of truth, But that's not what I'm necessarily referring to. I want to talk about a different form of deception, one that is so prevalent in our American culture in the American church. It's the deception that is related to the things of the world because here's the lie that is being propagated, that's propagated pervasively within even Christian circles, and it's this. The enemy is trying to tell us constantly that our joy in life, our happiness in life is directly parallel to the things of this world that we have, that our happiness quotient is dependent upon the better job and the bigger house and the more digits in our portfolio or whatever you would write on that list. And what he does is he encourages us in that temptation to spend all our energy and our effort on pursuing, focusing on, and going after the things of this world. Maybe one of his most effective strategies in the American church. So He attacks us through doubt. He attacks us through difficulties. He attacks us through deceptions like that. And then He attacks us through desire. Attacks us through desire. James 1.14 But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. But each person is Tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, by the phrase, own desire, James is not meaning to say that the enemy has nothing to do with it. The enemy knows about your desires. And what he does is he uses your desires to be a venue or a seat of temptation for you. He plays upon your sinful human desires desires or tries to take good desires and pervert them into sinful desires 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 desires come in three forms let me outline them for you desires come in three forms remember what we're doing here we're finding the ways in which the enemy attacks us and one way is desire and desire comes in three forms. First, John chapter 2, verse 16. Here's what the apostle John wrote. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. John here classifies three types of desires. Here, you can see them listed in the verse. What I want to do is I want to set in juxtaposition here the two infamous attacks of the enemy. The attack of the enemy that we looked at in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, that first attack at the beginning of history and then Satan's second great historical infamous attack And that is upon Jesus Christ just following his baptism when he is led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And what we have here is we have an attack upon the first Adam and his wife Eve in Genesis 3. And then in Luke chapter 4, we have the enemy's attack on the second Adam, Jesus Christ. He loses, the, mankind loses, the enemy wins the first attack, and Satan loses the second. Let's look at each of those and compare them with First John chapter 2, verse 16, where John identifies the three types of desires that the enemy uses to tempt us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Satan's first infamous attack. Remember the setting? Utopia, paradise, Garden of Eden, man and woman, no sin. A place of perfection in an intimate relationship with God and one tree that's forbidden. And Satan draws Eve into this discussion, casting the seeds of doubt upon the goodness of God. And here's the result. Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, just look closely at what that verse says and correlate it with 1 John 2.16. When Eve, the woman, saw, number one, that the tree was good for food, there's the desire of the flesh. For all in this world, the desires of the flesh, number one, right there. Eve saw the tree, And through the temptation of the enemy, it says, she saw that the tree was good for food. Secondly, when the woman saw that it was a delight to the eyes, 1 John 2, 6, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes. There's number two, the desires of the eyes. When Eve saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. And then number three, when Eve saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. There's number three in 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve, eat this, and what's going to happen is you're going to become like God. This is desirable to make you wise. Just think about who you will be then, Eve, if you're great now. The pride of life. Satan's first infamous attack. Let's look at his second where he attacked the God-man Jesus Christ just following Jesus' baptism. Jesus was led out into the desert where he ate nothing for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was attacked by the enemy. Luke chapter 4, verse 3. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. There's number one, the desires of the flesh. No food or drink, 40 days. Understatement that Jesus was hungry, Jesus was starving. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, man, you have the right to minister to your physical needs. Turn that stone into bread and eat. Desires of the flesh. Verses 5 and 6, here's temptation number 2. And the devil took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. There's the desires of the eyes. Look, Jesus, look at all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, their glory, and I'll give them to you. Desires of the eyes. And then verses 9 to 11, temptation number 3. And Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the high pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, Jesus, here's what the Word of God says. He, God, will command command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. There's the pride of life, Jesus. Throw yourself from the high point of the temple. Do it in front of everyone gathered here. Prove yourself to be the Messiah. Because if you are, the Father will catch you. He will bear you up. He will not let your foot strike the stone pride of life so here's the point as seen throughout scripture and as seen in the two infamous attacks of the enemy in scripture know your enemy Know the way he attacks, what his strategies are, that he comes at you through doubt and through difficulty and through deception and through desire. He's been playing the same game from the beginning. But listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're a son or a daughter of God you are not to fear the enemy. You're to be informed of him, not to fear him. Listen, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. Listen, don't be afraid of the enemy. He's real. He's bad. He's powerful. Don't be afraid, though. Be informed. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Your enemy has been bringing these things from the beginning. Here's the question for you this morning before we move into the second section. How have you been doing in the attack? As he's come at you through doubt and deceptions and difficulties and how have you been doing in the attack? Well, that leads us to section number two. What do we do? There's one overarching principle that I'll begin with and then we'll look at some specifics and unequivocally here's what the Bible says to defend yourself from the attacks of the enemy, one key word that could sum it all up is this, the truth, the truth. Here's section number two. Section number one was know your enemy. Here's section number two of the message, know the truth, know the truth. All of the strategies of the enemy, all those doubts and those deceptions and those difficulties that he brings, they all attempt to bring and reinforce a lie. The doubts that he throws at you about you and your God, they're lies. The difficulties that he uses to beat you down and to tell you that you can't make it through, it's a lie. The deception that he brings to say happiness is And joy will be achieved as you pursue the things of the world. Their lies, when He pulls on your desires and He attempts you with your desires, promising that He's going to bring satisfaction and pleasure, their lies. They're meant to defeat and bring pain and destruction. So how do you see through a lie? You see through a lie with truth. That's it. You see, through a lie with truth. Your ability to see through the lies of the enemy in all the ways that he comes is going to be in direct proportion to how well you know the truth. That's certainly the way Jesus battled him in the desert because every one of those temptations he responded by saying, it is written He used the truth. He is the great victor. We need to follow the lead of Him who is the living truth, Jesus Christ. By knowing the truth about the written word that tells us all about the living word, Jesus. The better you know the truth, the greater the contrast is going to be so you can identify the lies. It's like a dark room in which film is developed. I asked this question for first service and several people have actually done this as a hobby. How many of you have developed film in a dark room? Several of you. So you have a negative and you take it into the dark room and guess what? Just like you develop a picture in a dark room, you and I live in a dark room. We live in a world that's full of sin. And what happens in that dark room where film is developed is you put that negative into a solution, right? I'm going to be very basic here because I don't understand the process very well, but you put it into a solution and what is there begins to stand out in contrast The solution develops the picture that is there. It's just like that in the spiritual world. It is while we live in the dark room, as we take the things of life and we put them into the solution of the Word of God and Run them through the solution of the Word of God. What happens is the contrast stands out so that we're able in that process to see what is truth and what is lie. We're able to see the enemy's deceptions and distractions for what they are. But we have to have the solution of the truth to be able to do that. So, let's look through these four things. Doubt, difficulties, deception, and desire. Number one, how do you deal with doubt when the enemy comes at you with doubt? 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, and I'll do this Fairly quickly here, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. The way that you resist him, Peter says, is to be firm in your faith. So here's this enemy, Satan, like a lion, going around looking to devour, and you beat him with faith. You resist him with faith. He's wanting to devour. So what is he wanting to devour? He's wanting to devour faith. He doesn't want you to believe the truth. Your strategy then to defeat doubt is to build faith. How do you build faith? Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's true with salvation as the spirit of the living God sends out the truth of Jesus and takes a person dead in sin and wakes them up and helps them to see truth and to believe but it's also true true in our growth in the Christian life as we hear the word faith is built up and strengthened so here is the way to deal with doubt keep hearing God's word faith comes by hearing and hearing to the word of Christ this is the word of Christ secondly how do you deal with difficulties 1 John chapter 2 verse 14 I'm going to read the second part of this verse. 1 John 2:14 I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. John wrote here about overcoming the evil one. He's giving us a key to victory here over the enemy and he says when the enemy levels his attack against life that the way that we can defeat him referring to the young men here is that they defeat him because the word of God abides in them abides in them the Word of God abiding in you or living in you. You want to have the power against the enemy? You want to be able to put him in his place when he comes against you in temptations? What you need to have then is the Word of God continually being poured into your life empowering you to defeat the enemy and his attack. The Spirit will do that through the Word as you are Receiving a constant diet of that, the Word is living in you. My favorite cartoon as a young boy was Popeye the Sailor Man. Anybody else like Popeye the Sailor Man? I love that, right? So every episode, here's the story. Here's the story. Big Bad Bruto subdues Popeye, right? does something to overpower him and tie him up or lock him in or chain him down. And then after having subdued Popeye, what he does is he goes to steal away the lovely olive oil, right? What, who I'm convinced is got to be the homeliest woman ever sketched, right? The lovely olive oil. Then comes the crisis moment where somehow, in some way, Popeye gets his hands on a can of spinach. Many times he sucks that through his pipe, right? But the point is, it comes into him and he goes through this metamorphosis, right? He has this infusion of Power from on high, and he breaks the bonds like they were flax, and he goes and he overpowers bruto and saves the lovely olive oil it 's like that with the Word of God. We have a big, bad enemy, and he wants to subdue us, and he wants to keep us in bondage and captive, but what we need is the Spirit of God taking the Word of God as we put it into our lives and using the power and the nutrients of the Word to give us the ability to live with strength and victory over the enemy. So not only do we need to keep hearing the Word, we need to keep applying the Word. Right? That's eating it. That's taking it in so that it abides in us. Number three, dealing with deception. How do we deal with deception? We talked about earlier deception being related to those things that the enemy wants to tell us will fulfill us in life and make us happy, right? I want to give you an illustration from the Old Testament. A man by the name of Solomon. Solomon, considered other than Christ, to be the wisest man that ever lived. A gift given him from above. And Solomon, as the king, had wealth that we can't even imagine. He had ships that would come to him from around the known world of that day regularly laden with riches, with gold and the riches of the world. He was fabulously, indescribably wealthy. And he's got this download of knowledge and wisdom from God. And here's what he does. Read Ecclesiastes. He is a man has it all and tries it all. Has it all and tries it all. And you can read the story in Ecclesiastes. He withholds nothing from himself that his limitless wealth and power can provide. And he will pursue meaning in life through a certain type of pursuit. And then he'll come to a conclusion that becomes like the mantra, the the slogan for the entire book, it's all meaningless, it's all meaningless. And then he tries something else and he comes to the same conclusion, it's all meaningless. And then he comes to the end of the book and he makes this conclusion Ecclesiastes 12 13 the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man how does he end he ends with the word of God and he says this keep obeying God's word keep obeying God's word how do you deal with desire Psalms 119 10 and 11 King David, my hero of the Old Testament. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, he prays. And he makes this statement. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David said, God, I don't want to wander. I don't want to... Be defeated by the enemy and his temptations as they come to me. And so here is what I'm doing. I am storing up the Word of God in my heart because here's what I know. It will help me in my battle against sin, not to sin against you. How do you defeat the desires of life, the sinful desires of life? Keep memorizing God's Word. David says, I hid it in my heart. That's taking it in, memorizing it, meditating upon it. You see, all of those things keep hearing the Word, keep applying the Word, keep obeying the Word, keep memorizing, meditating on the Word of God. It's the way that God has given to us as the Spirit empowers that process in us. Not to live defeated lives, but to live victorious lives. Because here's the conclusion. We've talked about knowing your enemy, and we've talked about knowing the truth. You need to know this about yourselves. You are vulnerable and you're weak. Just who you are. It's who I am. You're vulnerable and you're weak. But here's the truth. If you're a son or a daughter of God, you already have the victory in Jesus. So you need to learn to access what He's given you to live in that victory day in and day out would you please stand Father just grateful rejoicing in your truth that your spirit is at work in the sons and daughters of God to reveal the truth within the written Word of God that's all about the living Word of God so that through that truth through hearing and applying obeying and memorizing meditating on that truth centered in the person of Jesus that we can live not defeated but we can live in victory through your power help us to take seriously the call this morning to do our part to access this means of grace so that the power from on high can infuse our life unto living in victory for the glory of Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.